This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. How are you doing? Very good, mate. How are you? Very good. Fascinating day today. European markets recovering some of their earlier losses, but still finishing significantly down. It was a roller coaster day, wasn't it? We saw the price of natural gas hiking high and then back down again, partially thanks to Vladimir Putin. What happened? So, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride today. I mean, I think ultimately the thing we have to acknowledge is that sentiment in the markets is extremely shaky right now. And that's simply because there's a growing list of downside risks. Some of them may be becoming uh, a lot more prominent. And it's all happening at a time when central banks are looking to pare back on their stimulus measures. In some cases, like the Bank of England, actually raise interest rates. Now, that doesn't necessarily align with what we've seen previously from these central banks. Previously, it's strong economic growth, full employment. We're starting to see demand-side-driven inflation. Therefore, we need to raise interest rates in line with the economy and in a manner that doesn't harm the uh, economy. It just uh, cools it, but keeps it ticking along. This feels very different. This is inflation is running higher than we're happy with. We're maybe not as confident in its transitory nature as we were three to six months ago. And we feel like it's actually going to heat up more before it gets better. And we don't want to be left crossing our fingers and hoping that we are uh, trying to manage uh, a comfortable situation. So it seems like central banks are getting a little tiny bit concerned about both the the severity of the inflation which they're now anticipating but also um the how permanent it actually is and i think that's starting to spook these markets because that's not the backdrop that you want interest rates to be raising against we don't have full employment we don't um have an economic recovery that's fully intact that we're confident in the outlook is still uncertain and there's many downside risks to come now you look at today and i think that's a prime example of what we're seeing we're, we're facing an energy crisis this winter primarily across europe but we're seeing it in asia as well and we were seeing natural gas prices and they've been surging some time and we saw them really take off again today. And that, that that was kind of the catalyst for the markets pulling back quite significantly earlier on in the session. We've got to remember these markets bounced back positively yesterday, alleviating some concerns, although I think it was quite... It, it, it did strike me as being more of a dead cat bounce than anything else. Maybe investors testing the water, buying these dips and seeing what happened. And they've reversed course quite quickly today. And I think the natural gas price movement was was the primary trigger really for that. This very stark reminder that with the, the next few months, the next six months is going to be extremely testing. Now, what's reverse course here is what you've alluded to earlier. It's comments from Vladimir Putin. Now, he's been talking about natural gas supply to Europe, and some of the comments he made was just really interesting, uh, saying that the Russia is boosting its uh, gas supplies uh, to Europe and that um, they're ready to stabilise the global energy market. Now, I think this is really interesting because up until now, the comments from Russia has been more of around uh, refilling their own stocks because they also had an extremely cold winter and their stock levels were low. So their primary focus was refilling stocks. So we almost couldn't really rely on Russia to solve this energy crisis and we had these outages in Norway as well and then these other bizarre happenings which meant that we couldn't rely elsewhere we had obviously uh, lower winds which meant the turbines were less uh, producing around half the amount of energy that they not typically produce the outage here in the UK as a result of the line linking to France and the fire that we saw which put which which drove the outage here and many other factors uh, as well which have driven um, declines um, in energy around the world and 
that's led to this surging demand at a time of an economic grand reopening. So we're seeing massive surges in demand for LNG in Asia, which is driving it away from parts of Europe and driving it away uh, 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 and driving it there. And where prices are much higher as well because they're really competing for those stores. We're seeing China coming out and saying they're pushing their state-owned energy uh, energy companies to effectively stock up on energy at any price. And now that drives up demand as well. We're seeing very little cooperation on this side on the, at this point from many of these countries, which could potentially drive a solution. In fact, we're actually seeing it in times weaponized, um, as you can have seen from comments um, in relation to Brexit fishing uh, between the UK and France this week. So I think it got to a very unhealthy point. So Vladimir Putin coming out with these comments saying that they're ready to stabilise the, uh, the the energy market. Quite clearly, there is a nod to the Nord Stream 2 uh, line, which, uh, which they're hoping the uh, German regulators will approve. Now, this is something that has strong opposition uh, from uh, certain countries within Europe, Ukraine, Poland being among those, also opposition from the US, who desperately doesn't want Europe to become overly reliant on Russia from an energy perspective. Um, uh, uh, but it now finds itself in a very difficult position. The line itself is actually completed, so it's almost ready to go. It just requires that, that approval, so the timing couldn't be better um, if you are... <clears throat> Vladimir Putin, and when you combine these um, with, for example, the, the the comments which we had uh, from the energy minister uh, Novak later on, effectively a nod uh, to the actual Nord Stream saying that certification of it may cool off gas prices. This nod to, well, you know, if you do your bit, we'll do ours, and everything's everything's fine. But obviously, that doesn't necessarily make everything fine. But it very much alleviates a massive issue that many countries are facing now over the next few months. And it's following these comments that we've seen natural gas prices pull back quite strongly. Now, that hasn't done all, undone all the damage that we've seen in the equity markets. Europe's closed down around 1.5%. The US is down a little under 1%. The Nasdaq down a little under 0.4% at the time of recording. So it's removed a chunk of the losses that we've seen earlier on in equity markets. But it hasn't solved the problems because the energy crisis is one big problem going into this winter. But it's one of many. And these comments alone don't even solve that one. It's a worrying state of affairs when the comments of a, a Russian president uh, can have such a profound effect on markets. Uh, just to go through the numbers today, they rose gas prices by 37% in 24 hours initially and traded at £4 per therm. And after those comments, gas prices dropped to 257 Certainly outlines uh, the volatility in the market and the nervousness amongst investors about low stockpiles of gas where is this going though um you you, you mentioned the word weaponized it's almost as, as if we could be entering an energy war crisis uh, let alone just an energy crisis well you can understand therefore why um there's so much nervousness around um around europe almost uh, being uh, being in this position with regards to their reliance and over reliance on um, on Russian energy and why we've seen um, why we why, why we've seen the actions of the US over a number of years now to try and prevent this this line actually going ahead. Why I mean, obviously Ukraine part of Ukraine's issue with it is to do with the fact that they're effectively diverting around the country itself, so that can affect uh, fees that they can obtain from the the line which is running through something which 
which Putin himself wanted to try and alleviate concerns about today. Um, but uh, so it's it's highly political, but it, it just goes to show that already actually Europe is extremely over reliant on Russian energy, and the o the 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 opening and the approval of this line is only going to make Europe increasingly uh, reliant on uh, on Russia. But then the 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 counter argument to this is. What, op what alternative do they have? They clearly can't rely on the US either because any any additional supplies is likely to make its way via um, uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas. It's likely to make its way to Asia because they're going to be the highest bidders. So we can't rely on, the, Europe can't rely on the US either. Ultimately, the only way that this, this, this resolves itself is if we become reliant on other forms of power, nuclear power, whatever, um, or we find cheaper more effective ways of making ourselves more reliant on renewable energy and i think that's ultimately going to be the plan for europe going forward it's going to be do you know what we have to almost accept this short-term solution um and put ourselves in this vulnerable position in the short term but in the longer term the solution is going to be uh, is going to be uh, renewable green energy because you just don't see many countries going down the alternative paths at this point in the wake of those natural gas numbers going down eventually craig oil followed shortly afterwards well this is we've talked about this before the oil prices were rising anyway because the market was becoming a little bit tighter because the actions of opec plus were were keeping supply online but and re adding it every month four hundred thousand barrels uh per day per month uh was bring was was kind of alleviating some of the tightness in the market, reducing down inventories and doing so at a pace that, that could keep prices at a level that producers could continue to be profitable. So many of these are uh, kind of state run. So these are kind of filling the coffers, as it were, um, and, and, and driving the budgets. And these budgets have been under enormous pressure over the course of the last few years because of low oil prices. So they were trying to manufacture a price ultimately that kind of wins in both senses. Um, so the... The price has been driven partly by the kind of tightness, that, the increased tightening that we're seeing in the actual market, but it was also getting an extra kick from what we were seeing in these energy markets. Because ultimately, if you've got a, if you've got um, lower resources in terms of natural gas and coal prices are going up as well, which means resources there are running thin, and we're not be able to rely on renewable energy because of various weather issues and we're seeing outages right left and center which is causing further shortages then you have to continue to look for alternative sources of energy and that we heard we saw Saudi Aramco uh, CEO yesterday said that so far that's led to an, an, an increase in demand of 500,000 barrels per day that's only going to increase with the longer that this shortage goes on and the colder the winter potentially becomes and that's what's really driven got uh, crude prices this 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 little bit further and then ultimately you've got an energy crisis that can become a fuel crisis because all of a sudden prices at the pump are going to be coming higher and higher and higher and at what point does that become uh, unsustainable and at what point does that become in itself another recessionary trigger because there's only so far you can squeeze household and business budgets before you start to run into some massive problems Moving subjects now, Craig, and Bitcoin jumped to a near five-month high above $55,000 today, which extends its rally from the previous day and uh, sort of the inverse of uh, equity markets, really, isn't it, in this sort of volatile October trading period that we're going through? 
Yeah, it's really taken off recently. It it, it hung around that kind of forty to forty five thousand dollar level for quite a long period of time, and it almost effectively entered into a correction path. Um, but it never really took off to the downside. There was an enormous amount of resilience around that forty thousand dollar level, almost as if we had bullish Bitcoin traders just clinging on for dear life, waiting for a bullish story to appear, waiting for an Elon Musk comment, waiting for uh, another company announcement that they were adopting, waiting for anything that could reinvigorate the price again. And the, and and once we saw it break $45,000, then it's just taken off. It jumped from 45 to 48 really, really quickly. It didn't take long till we were back above 50,000. And all of a sudden we break 50,000 and straight away we're straight back up to 55. It's hard to ignore these kind of price moves and it's hard to imagine that we're not going to see record highs in the not too distant future because it's got such incredible momentum once again and we can point to various reasons why that may be we can talk about comments from gary gensler um uh, with regards to bitcoin um we can talk about the suggestion that the us wouldn't ban bitcoin or that it's up to congress whatever all of these kind of really minor things. Well, sometimes when the market wants to be really bullish, it clings onto anything uh, in order to get its way. And amazing that while this was largely priced in, it seems that these small comments more recently have had less of an effect than China banning Bitcoin, I mean, or banning cryptocurrencies. So you look at that and you can see that the, this market was just desperate to be bullish. And at the first opportunity, it really took hold. And now it's got incredible momentum and it's hard to see what's going to stop it. As I said, it has been a fascinating day, but let's look ahead to the rest of the week, Craig. And uh, I suppose US jobs numbers on Friday, although, of course, plenty could happen between uh, now and then, as, as we've seen today. But those uh, non-farm payroll figures on Friday, what are markets expecting? So markets are expecting something a little shy of 500,000. I think the important thing here is um, is what's the market reaction going to be if we see a big miss or a big beat? Because you've kind of got two alternative scenarios here. You've got the Federal Reserve, who is so determined to taper in November. A big beat, all of a sudden, does that help? Uh, does it help alleviate economic concerns? Or does it make people worry that not only they're going to taper in November, but an interest rate hike could come a little bit sooner? Does it almost... Does it, does it worsen any taper tantrum that we're currently seeing unfolding in the markets? So can they afford to have a really strong um, jobs report on Friday? Or if it's too weak, does it change the Fed's path? Because is the Fed more concerned about inflation? So you are now going into a taper and potential rate hikes late next year against the backdrop of a weakening economy. It almost you almost wonder what's worse. It's almost like something in line with expectations is what they need. Now, the ADP number today was 568,000. Not the best barometer for the non-farm payrolls on Friday, but probably one of the, among the, the, the only things that we do have to really see. And so that was a little bit above expectations there with a slight downward revision last month. So it's going to be really interesting on Friday, not the actual numbers themselves. I think the most interesting thing on Friday is just going to be how the markets react to them because I, fear, I can't help but wonder if too big or too small both gets a bad reaction in the market so that's going to be the really interesting thing to see because the fed seems so determined to remove stimulus despite the growing amount of downside risks to the economy um, and that's why we're seeing this kind of mini taper tantrum unfolding right now which could deepen even further uh, if the fed does stay the course and if the top prospect of rate hikes next year becomes more realistic the flip side of that is, does the Fed take the fourth gas? But then they've got their between a rock and a hard place as well because they're fighting a slowing economic recovery. They're, they're fighting a market, a stock market that's starting to show signs of real vulnerability, but they're also fighting inflation. And that's a primary 
part of their mandate. Um, so they're really are between a rock and a hard place, and I'm sure they'll be hoping for a little bit of luck in the coming months. And the first bit of luck that they can hope for, I think, is uh, probably that uh, the uh, Nord Stream 2 gets approved and that the European and Asian uh, energy crisis um, eases up quite considerably, and I think that would be the first box ticked. Okay, we'll obviously reflect on those jobs numbers from the United States with uh, your colleague Ed Moyer in the United States a little later on Friday. Craig, thanks very much for joining us and have a good night. Thank you. You too. The Oanda Podcast.